welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's Wednesday, November 18th, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today I am so privileged to be met with and joined by Lisa Qualls. Uh, She and her husband, Russ, are the parents of 12 children by birth and adoption, and sometimes through foster care. She's the creator of One Thankful Mom website and a popular speaker at events for adoptive and foster parents. She's also the co-founder of The Adoption Connection, a podcast and resource for adoptive moms. And using her training as a TBRI practitioner, uh, she coaches and encourages adoptive parents so that they can find courage and hope in their journeys of loving their children well. And and I have just been so grateful for the Adoption Connection, uh, as well as for our team has been very grateful for Lisa and her work and her book. And uh, we know that many adoptive parents and foster parents, and maybe even folks that are looking to join that journey will be encouraged by what you hear today. But before we hear from Lisa, I wanna let you know about the Journey Magazine. Do you know about our free Lifeline alumni magazine called Journey? It's specifically crafted for our alumni families. And this fall's issue focuses on pregnancy counseling and how Lifeline began almost 40 years ago. If you're an alumni family and you don't already receive this publication, email us at milestones at lifelinechild.org. Again, that's milestones at lifelinechild.org to sign up and or see the show notes for that email address and how you can sign up. This issue will arrive in mailboxes in the month of November. Well, Lisa, we're so grateful to have you on the Defender podcast and just grateful for the work that you have done. And I know that one of your passions is standing in the gap for foster and adopted families, loving on them and caring for them and getting them the resources, especially as many are parenting children who've experienced early childhood trauma or who have had hard backgrounds. So thanks for being with us. And and just as a matter of introduction, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family, as well as how you began encouraging parents? Okay, well, I live in North Idaho, and as you said, I have 12 kids. Uh, They are getting very grown up now. My kids, I have a 20-year age range from 33 to, well, my 13-year-old just turned 14. So (laughs) we're really just in the thick of the teen years and the young adult years, And but I do very well remember when I had many, many young children. Um, So we were parents for 20 years before we became adoptive parents and we became adoptive parents because, well, because God led us really, Mm -hmm. but it all started with a phone call from some friends who were adopting two children from Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And so that just opened our hearts to the need in Ethiopia at that time, way back in 2006. And we decided to adopt two little boys, which turned into two little boys and a little girl. And then when we traveled in 2007, we met another little girl and brought her home a year later in 2008. So we added four children in a very short time. And the, the children who joined our family through adoption were 10, five and a half, two, and a five-month-old baby. So big age range there as well. Mm. One of the things is you have encouraged so many families through 
your blog and your podcast. And, and I think especially adoptive mamas who come and they kind of sometimes feel like when they're parenting these children who have experienced early childhood trauma. And so they're having struggles that maybe they're the only one, or maybe that it's just them that's experiencing them. And I, and, and I think for all of us, right. Uh, especially when we look at those believers having that community of folks that we can identify with each other, identify with each other's struggles, it really does bring growth and it brings encouragement. So what are some of the common struggles you see and that you help adoptive and foster parents with? Probably one of the most common struggles is the difference between our expectations and our reality as adoptive families. You know, most of us went into adoption because we felt like we, some of us were already parents. Like I felt like I was a really good mom. I thought, wow, you know, I'm good at this. I'm already doing this. I would love to parent more children who need a family like what we have, you know? And so I really believed I was a good mom. I think that's common. I think a lot of times, um, you know, we're, we realize as adoptive parents that our children have gone through very hard things before they've ever met us. And we know that, that it's going to take time. It's going to be work to parent them in a way to help them feel secure and loved and safe. But I think we don't often realize how long that is going to take that, you know, sometimes for some of our children, it will be a lifelong journey of continuing to build trust with them because the impact of, trauma and loss and adversity on them has been so profound. And so I think the reality of how challenging it might be and how long it might take to restabilize as a family can really surprise people. And then the overwhelming needs of children, you know, like being a parent is a lot of work. I mean, we know that no matter how kids join your family, it's, hard. It's tiring. It's, it's amazing. And it's really hard and taxing. And you add children who have special needs due to trauma or other things. And the demand on the parent just drastically increases. And so there's a lot of overwhelm. There's a lot of fatigue because our children often don't sleep well because their nervous systems are hypervigilant. They've been in very scary or insecure situations. They're always looking for danger in their little bodies and brains. So they may not sleep, which means parents don't sleep. So I would say those are some of the most common challenges and also just lack of support. Mm. Well, and I, I love what you say too, because you know all of our children that come into our home through adoption or through foster care, if, if that's their point of entry, then we know that they've experienced loss. If nothing else, they've experienced great loss. And and I think even as parents or even as adults, whenever we experience loss, there's always going to be some form of trauma that we experience as well. And so a lot of it is, I think we bring these children into our home, they enter into our home through foster and adoption. And we just, we, we have this rosy picture that our home's going to fix everything or our home's going to make everything better. But even that can be traumatic and a traumatic experience, uh, bringing a child from a different culture, from a different background, from different smells, different things, they're, different things that they're used to. Um, right. And we know that that can set off all types of struggles within a family. So for that mom, especially today that's listening to this podcast, and maybe for the first time she's even thinking, okay, I'm not alone. You know, what advice would you give to those moms and dads that are struggling? 
I think the first thing people need to do, parents need to do is find other people walking this road. You know, mm. you it can be very lonely and very isolating because like I said, the needs can be so great, but also it can just shake us to our core of who we are. You know, like, was I called to this? Am I competent? Can I even survive this, you know, because of the needs? And so I think it's really important to find other adoptive and foster parents and surround yourself with them. And, you know, especially right now, we can't necessarily gather in person, but there are so many ways to gather online with other parents. And I think it's, that's so important. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, you need to create a support team for your, for your whole family. And the problem with trying to do that after your kids are home is it's like you're already drowning, you know, you're, you're barely surviving. And now I'm telling you, okay, now you need to create a team. So the more you can do before you bring kids home, the better, but you've got to have people, you know, on your team that are going to help your family. So you need professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, occupational therapists, uh, therapists, therapists. I mean, like, and it may not just be for your kids. You may need a therapist for yourself. You may need a therapist to work with you and your spouse because of the strain that this intensity of parenting can put on a marriage. So you need a team of professionals. You need friends and family on your team who are not actually adoptive and foster parents because you need people who aren't in the same uh, position you're in of needing a lot of help. So you need people who... Um, can bring you a meal sometimes or can pick up your kids. Like I, I tell people when they say, how can I help a family? I'll say, it's the simplest things. Like you're signing your child up for parks and rec soccer, offer to sign up your friend's kid and do all the driving. Mm -hmm. And it will be great for the kid. It'll be great for the mom. It'll be just, and it's not that hard. So I think, you know, finding those people and your family, and maybe you have family who can't physically be there to help but maybe financially they can help you. And I know it's hard to ask for help, but you know, we do, we do need help. It's hard to do this on your own. And then hopefully you can turn to your church to mm -hmm. also support and help you. And whether that for us, that was a youth pastor mm -hmm. just devoted himself to caring, not for my kids that had joined the family from adoption through adoption, but my young teens mm -hmm. who were just getting totally lost in the shuffle, mm -hmm. he would show up at their track meets. He would pick them up and take them to youth group, even if it was at his house, you know, mm -hmm. because we just couldn't do it all. So even if your church doesn't have a developed uh, ministry for adoptive and foster families, there are a lot of ways that if we're willing to ask, we can get support from our churches. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. What you say is being willing to ask for help. But I think I'd also say for those knuckleheads like me out there, also being willing to receive help when people offer it. And so I think too, the, we need to be willing to ask for help, but we also need to receive it. I, I remember one season, uh, my wife was struggling um, and she had some chronic illness and, and it was just one of those times. It was really, really bad. And, uh, and I'll confess about myself, prideful me, our small group wanted to come, you know, mow our yard, clean up outside. And I'm thinking, I'm not the one struggling with the sickness. You need to do something for her. I can do my own yard. And, you know, I'm prideful and arrogant. And so what did I do? I got up early one morning, I cut my grass so that by the time they got there, there's nothing for them to do. <laughs> and, and a lot of times I, I want to encourage families because I think even if it's not from where I was coming out of a prideful standpoint, we kind of think. Uh, I don't want to be in a receiving situation. 
it's a vulnerable situation. Um, but I think we've, we've got to be vulnerable in this journey so that people know, hey, I do need help. And, and ultimately, when we're vulnerable, we recognize we need the Lord, ultimately. Um, and we can't make it without Him. Uh, Absolutely. Well, and the other thing is, you're depriving people of the joy mm. of serving. And that sounds kind of funny, but it's true. Like, I had an opportunity to serve a young mom who was going through a really hard time. And all these other women were like, let me bring you dinner. And I thought, oh, I don't want to take dinner. But what I do, I actually love doing laundry. So I said, give me all your laundry. And once a week, I would just take her laundry. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it was easy for me to do. And it gave me joy to help her in such a simple way. So when you go out and well, you're long before they come, it, you're kind of taking something from them, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, and there are people that I mean, that's, they want to serve and you are, you're blessing them. And a lot of times too, I think it's realizing people want to serve. They just don't know what to do. Uh, Absolutely. Tell them what you need. That gives them an area that they know they can serve. Well, so I know one of the things that you talk a lot about is in your blog and your podcast and your writing is this whole thing about being connected to other families, but also being connected to the resources that you need to, to thrive as a family. So you recently wrote The Connected Parent, and you focus on raising children you know, who've come from past trauma or who've come from early uh, hard times. You know, what are some practical steps that parents can take to be a connected parent and to help their children experience healing? Well, first of all, I think we have to be willing to learn. We have to come to this in humility, saying that most often we do not know all the answers to how to parent children with so many needs. We have to be willing to learn a new way. And I think that sometimes people are afraid to do that, especially especially people in the church, especially Christians. We've been taught a certain way to parent, and this is what the Bible says, and this is what we do. And learning something new can actually be really scary for parents. I know it was for me. And um, so we have to be willing to learn new things. And I think there are so many small things that we can learn about how to connect with our children if we're just able to understand what has happened to their brains, what has happened to their bodies, and know that the most important thing a lot of times that we have to do is increase their sense of safety and build trust with them. Because until our children trust us, it's going to be very, very hard to really connect deeply with them. And I don't mean, I mean, trust is, um, these can be very subtle things. You know, like I have a teenager who struggles to trust me even after all these years. If I am late to pick him up from a sports practice, that's a big thing for him. I mean, he may not say it, but I know it. So I think we just have to be willing to take all the small steps to begin building trust with our children in order to connect with them. I know that there's another book that folks, uh, that, that has a similar name, The Connected Child, that families yes. came to know these trust-based relational intervention, TBRI principles. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we hear that a lot in adoption, adoption circles and foster care circles, TBRI, trust-based relational intervention. You know, but sometimes they... They, they, they seem like a really good idea, but implementing them becomes a hardship. So what are some common roadblocks that parents have trying to implement kind of TBRI principles? And, and what are some ways they can get past those barriers? I think one of the barriers is that 
we're usually already pretty overwhelmed and there is so much to learn. And I remember reading The Connected Child thinking, how am I going to remember all of this? I also remember thinking, but what does it really look like? How does a mom actually say that? What, what does she actually do? You know, and trying to figure all of that out. And that's part of why we wrote this book is I remember feeling so strongly, like I had wonderful books like The Connected Child and other books that gave me so many great ideas but they were all written by, by professionals. Mm -hmm. And I just kept feeling like, but wait, I don't think I could actually do that in my family. How would I even do that? And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a book that combined the real life experience of a parent, me, with an expert like Dr. Purvis? Mm -hmm. And I think we did that really well in the book because every chapter, there are stories of mine and they're honest stories mixed with her incredible wisdom and knowledge. And so I think that helps parents get a better grasp on what it might actually look like mm -hmm. and that it's okay if they mess up. I mean, parenting is just filled with mistakes. We just make so many mistakes and we can learn how to repair things with our kids. We can learn how to say, you know what? mommy messed up. I'm sorry. Let's do that again. We can have redos like we want our kids to do. So um, I think the overwhelm is part of it. And also the stakes feel so high to get it right. Mm. Right. Like mm. we, we feel like if we don't do everything right, mm. our family is just going to spin out of control and things are going to get worse and worse and worse. So the stakes feel high which makes it a little harder to learn sometimes because our brains get a little overwhelmed too and our nervous systems get overwhelmed. So I think when we can take a deep breath, take it slowly, read a chapter of something, watch a video of something, and then just try to apply one thing, just one thing. And maybe the one thing is gonna be that um, I'm not gonna react to my child. I'm gonna pause before responding today. That's the one thing I'm gonna to try to do. Or if I start to get overwhelmed, I'm going to step out of the room and take a deep breath and step back in or whatever it is, I'm going to try giving my child eye contact mm. for today. You know, take one thing and try it and, and apply it. And then when you've got that, learn another one. You know, don't be so hard on yourself and think you have to learn it all at once because it is so much. Right. And I think, you know, that's unfortunately human nature. We try to do everything at once as opposed mm -hmm. to taking, putting one step before the other. Um, and really for families, you're new to being an adoptive for foster parent too. Um, just like your child may be new to being in a family. This is your first yeah. time to do this as well. And so giving yourself grace um, yes. is so big. And, and just even thinking a new child is not going to start running when they haven't learned to walk, they're going to take one step in front of another. And so I think it's just such sage advice because that is one of the things. And I think especially moms put a lot of pressure on themselves. They've got to do everything right out of the gate. Um, and, you know, it, it's realizing that our kids actually learn sometimes through our mistakes. Um, they learn through our idiosyncrasies and, and the things that aren't quite perfect, especially when we have the grace to go and apologize or to make it right. And so uh, these are these are all lessons that the Lord can use to actually shape the heart of our children. And, you know, one of those principles, obviously, of, of TBRI is at the beginning of any adoption is cocooning and, yeah. and kind of allowing your child to learn that you're the parent and that you're the provider. 
but you really have taught, and, and, and I love this idea that kids also need mentors and coaches outside of the home. Tell us why that's so important at an appropriate time and appropriate stage mm-hmm. for children to have mentors. Well, it's interesting you ask about that, and this is going to be a little different from what I think you're looking for, but I want to mention this because it's important. I'm doing a lot of work right now on um, siblings in the family, you know, like the original crew of kids, whether they're there by birth or adoption, and then new children enter the family. And um, I do a lot of this work with my kids, my young adult kids now. And one of the things they say over and over is that they feel that every child in the family needs their own support person, their own mentor, their own person that they can turn to when mom and dad are so consumed with the needs of the children that have really big needs and the other kids are getting a little lost in the shuffle. So I think that is really important, especially if you're preparing to bring children home is literally find a safe adult person who can mentor the other children in your family first. Mm. The other people who need mentors are parents. Mm. And because we need parents who've gone before us and can say, oh, I remember what that was like, and you will come through it. Mm. And parents who can say, I felt that way too. And, you know, your child is is going through this. It's going to be okay. Mm. You know, you want people who have the wisdom of experience And you want people who will speak truth to you in love. Mm. You know, um, it is not helpful to have people in your life who will just be negative about your child. Let's say you're having a really bad day and you say something negative about your child and they just are like, oh, you're right. That kid, you know, you need people are going to be like, yeah, yeah. It sounds like he's having a hard time too, you know, and, and to remind you of your child's preciousness. So I think parents need mentors. And then in terms of our kids and our families, the thing that comes most to mind, our adopted children, they especially need mentors. If our children, especially if they're of a different race than our family, they need mentors in their own race. You know, people who can look like them. We, um, I have two sons who are black and having an adult black Christian man in their lives is a gift. And fortunately for me, it's my son-in-law. So I really, God got us covered there, which I'm super (laughs) thankful for because he can speak to them about things that I have no idea. Like I could tell them what I read about being a black man, but that's not nearly as helpful as my son-in-law actually Mm. teaching and talking to my boys. Well, kind of one of the things that that you have had some some study with right is it's kind of personality testing and i think one of the reasons that's important i do want to bring that up is because knowing the personality of our children is important as well you know not just assuming that their behavior or maybe the way they interact is always based upon maybe early trauma or or something in their background but it could just also be in the way that god's formed them as a person you know, how, why do you think it's so important for families to, to not just look at maybe past childhood trauma, but also look at the personality of their child and how they parent those children? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I have some, some training in the Enneagram. I'm still a learner um, <laughs> because I think you could learn about the Enneagram and personality forever. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I have the benefit of having a lot of children 
And they are vastly different people. And when I look back, I mean, I knew that when they were younger, but when I look back at how they were as children and who they are as adults, they're the same, right? Mm -hmm. And they're also different. And so I think it is important. A lot of times I was just talking with a group of moms about this. We're trying to figure out, is this normal teenage stuff or Mm -hmm. is this adoption teenage stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes it's impossible to know. And then the same thing, is this just that my child's different from me or is it really a problem? A lot of times, you know, especially if you have kids by birth who are very similar in personality to you, and then you bring children in who are vastly different, different isn't bad. It's just different. And learning about the Enneagram for me has helped me understand my children. It's helped me understand my husband. I've been married 36 years and learning the Enneagram has been really helpful because it helps us realize that we see the world through different lenses. That's one way they describe the Enneagram. The Enneagram has, the personalities are divided into nine different types and it's like nine different colors of lenses. We're all seeing the same thing, but we're going to see it through our own interpretation. And that's a lot of what I think personality differences are. It's how we view the world. And, and so if we can understand the variety of that and actually the gift of that, it's really pretty fun to have kids who are different from you when you can get to the point where you're enjoying that. I mean, I have a daughter who is a surgeon. I have a daughter who works in the gaming industry. I have a son who's an engineer. I've got, you know, these kids, adult kids do so many different things. The variety is a good thing. That's right. Well, Kind of as we close, obviously, you've had the perspective of, of getting to be in this journey for a while. And, um, you know, I, I would just abundantly encourage those that are listening to check out the One Thankful Mom website, as well as about the Adoption Connection. And we'll have both of those links in show notes. But Lisa, kind of as we close, what is a word of encouragement? Because you've, you've been through the fire. You've seen the other side in a lot of these things. What's one word of encouragement you would give to adopted and foster moms today uh, to, to encourage them to keep going? Well, first of all, I think we can remember that adoption and foster care both give us a very public and amazing opportunity to put the love of God on display to a world that is watching. It's powerful. And People ask you questions because your family's clearly different. Mm -hmm. And strangers will say, so what made you want to adopt? And I'll say, it's a God thing. Do you want to hear about it? You know, like it's, it gives us this incredible opportunity, but even more than that, God is using us to love our children and to reflect his love to them, which is so powerful. We have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with our children and give them the safety and security of a family, which is what God wants every child to have. And I think it's a real honor and privilege. The other thing I want moms to know is that even in the hardest days, God is working his good in our kids' lives and in our lives. And it's a journey. It's, we're, you know, it's, it's going on, it's going to last a long time. And so when we're tempted to be really discouraged and think we haven't done it well, or our child is not doing what we hoped they would do, the story is not over. And I think we just have to remember that love is patient and that we have a God who is so actively involved in our lives and we can trust him. We can trust him. 
Amen. Well, Lisa, so grateful just to have this conversation. I know it's been a huge encouragement to those who have listened. And again, I want to encourage all of you to go to One Thankful Mom website. The link will be in the show notes. And please listen to the Adoption Connection, a podcast and a resource site. Those are great ways. And also go to Amazon.com and wherever you get books and check out The Connected Parent. And what a great resource this is by Lisa. And also just a just a great resource that, uh, that Karen Purvis was able to be a part of before she passed away. And what a great, uh, what a great work that she has done for so many in this space. Well, Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's really been wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.